Hey, uh, welcome to New Valley. My name is Scott, and I am so glad that you have joined us for worship this morning. We are continuing in our Summer in the Psalms series, and today we're going to be looking at Psalm 119. Now, if you're a student of the Bible at all, you're getting a little freaked out. Like, is this going to be a five-hour service? Because I know the length of Psalm 119. We're picking a portion to read, and we're going to be... you know, drawing from it generally. So uh, don't worry. Look at verses 41 through 48 with me as I read it. This is from Psalm 119. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules I will keep your law continually, forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love. I will meditate on your statutes. This is the word of the Lord. So... um, Becky and I met at a sports camp uh, in western Pennsylvania, and in the year that we met, I was dating another girl, and she was dating another guy, and I met, you know, we were just friends, right? And we heard this is a pretty serious relationship, the one that she was in. And so I met her, um, I met her boyfriend at, at a uh, omissions conference in, at Purdue University, and he stayed with me in my... Um, in my fraternity house, and we, we went to this missions conference together, and I convinced him to go to Summer's Best Two Weeks and be at this camp where I was a camp counselor. And we became really good friends. And their relationship continued to flourish, and everything looked like they are going to get married. Meanwhile, my relationship with this other young lady, uh, she saw the light, and she dumped me like a bad habit. And I was devastated. I was extremely sad and, and was really crushed. And this young lady named Becky... This is my wife, by the way. Uh, Her boyfriend pulled me aside and said, listen, I know you're sad. I know this is hard. But Scott, you need to wait for somebody like Becky. You, You need someone like her. I want you to be thinking of her. When you're out there dating, I'm like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh, gotcha. So I then moved to Indianapolis for a number of reasons and ended up working at a church. And I met a youth ministry retreat and we're getting back to come home. And I meet a young man that went to college with Becky. And I said, so do you know so-and-so? Do you know so-and-so? Do you know Becky Roos? And he said, I do. She just moved to Indianapolis. I'm like, you're kidding me. How are she and Joel? <laughs> and she's, he said, they broke up. And I said, do you have their, her phone number? And he said, yes. And I called her immediately. I mean, that day. And it was terrifying, though. You know, I was like, so it, it was a real phone, right? And so we dated for a year. And at the end of that year, I went off to seminary. And it's a three-year program. And it was three hours away. And that began our long-distance relationship. It was a two-year. We were dated two whole years and were engaged for a year. And we had two years in a long-distance relationship. We now have a long-distance relationship with our boys. Uh, When Becky and I were in a long-distance relationship, it was about three or four hours away, we would would call each other. Like, we had the most enormous uh, long-distance phone bills because we we would, you know, it's the only means of seeing one another. And now, with our long-distance relationship with our boys who are in college and one's in New York... Uh, we have FaceTime, and that's better 
it's still not great. It's still disembodied, but it's better to be able to see their face. And today, I want to talk to you about what it means to have a relationship with God through the means of God's grace of his Holy Scripture and the Holy Spirit, of course, as well. A relationship with God that, that can take place through Scripture and, and the, by the Holy Spirit. But I know many of you are thinking, my relationship with God, it really kind of feels like a long-distance relationship. How can you have a relationship with somebody that is not physically present as God is spirit and not physically present? And today I want us to see that in spite of that, and, and that is a difficulty if we're honest, but through meditating, memorizing, and walking in God's word, our relationship with God can flourish. And the main idea I want us to see is this, and I'm stealing this from uh, somebody else. It's a quote. Submitting to God's word as your authority is not the enemy of a personal relationship with God. It's the precondition for it. Submitting to God's word as your authority is not the enemy of a personal relationship with God. Instead, it's the precondition for it. We, we see that King David is saying some counterintuitive things. He's saying, I love God's law. I raise up my hands because how much I love God's law. Psalm 119, as I've mentioned, is the longest psalm in all of Scripture, in, in the Psalter. It has 176 verses. It's divided into 22 stanzas, one for each letter of the Hebrew al alphabet. There are eight Hebrew words that are used by the psalmist to describe the main idea of this psalm, and it's, it's law, testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, judgments, word, and ordinances. And the first thing I want us to see from Psalm 119 is that God's word actually brings us freedom. He says this in verses 44 through 45. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place for I have sought your precepts. Now, as a believer, I, want, I know if you're listening, you're a little frustrated with this because you're thinking, I don't walk in God's laws continuously. I, I don't. I don't live. That's not where I live. I try by God's spirit, and that is my desire, but my day-to-day -day experience is not like I just obey. But if you remember David's story... <laughs> You'll see there is some tension here even in what he's saying because, of course, he does not always walk in God's precepts. And yet this is his desire. I will keep your law continually forever. I will walk in a wide place for I've sought your precepts. And in the NIV version of uh, the New Testament or the Old Testament, it says this, I will walk about in freedom for I have sought your precepts. In verse 32 of our psalm today, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. So the psalmist is saying this. He has found great freedom in something that doesn't seem like the place you would find freedom. In a law. In a rule. It's God's will for us. And by letting God define what is the good life for him, the psalmist is finding freedom, not the restraint or the absence of freedom, but freedom. 
And that seems so strange to us, right? I mean, if we're honest, that is the opposite of what uh, seems like freedom for us. How do we typically define freedom? The absence of constraint. Of course, doing what I want to do when I want to do it. Um, Freedom is found in the autonomous self, choosing what he or she believes is true. Each individual must decide what is true. My favorite quote I have to use again, you do you, right? V. Quiva, live it, baby. You do you. (laughs) We define freedom as being able to do whatever we want to do. But what if one of our biggest problems is just that? what we want. What if our problem, one of our greatest problems, the thing that is actually enslaving us is not outside of us, but is actually inside of us. It is our desires, our longings, our brokenness and the sense of sin that we have where we are building a life apart from God based on our desires, our longings, our lusts, the things that we want. Our very desire may be the actual problem that is enslaving us more than anything. Autonomy or individualism is this really interesting idea that, frankly, I don't think anyone actually lives out in reality because no one is an island. Autonomy, self-law, rule to yourself, I'm in charge. But we don't come to convictions ethically or a moral system or or the things that we believe are right and wrong or good and bad or will give us freedom in in a vacuum. These things are coming to us outside of ourselves. We don't create these things ourselves. I I hope you're a critical thinker. I hope you're an individualist. I hope you really do think through what you believe, why you believe it, and how you believe it. But to think that each individual is just sort of autonomously coming up with their own ethical system and so forth, it just doesn't make sense. We now see how powerful a force social media is in shaping what people think is the good and the true and the beautiful or what is reality. But the psalmist paints this picture of God's commands is like being on this beautiful trail that he's running on, this beautiful path that's lit and, and it's beautiful, it's wide, and he's running along it unrestrained. And this is true for us. In following Christ and looking to Jesus by faith, I have this amazing news to you that the law is already fulfilled for you. So you can join King David in saying, I love the law. Why? Because it no longer condemns. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, the Apostle Paul says. Why? Because we had a lawkeeper, a perfect one, Jesus, the Messiah, who, unlike King David, was able to love the Lord his God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and every day to love his neighbor as much as he loves himself. And so the, the Spirit, I think, is showing how good the gospel is to David, and he's rejoicing in that and saying, there is one who will fulfill the law, even though I have not. And for the believer... There's a sense in which God's law, because it no longer condemns us, it is now an instruction for what life can look like in the rule and reign of of, of his kingdom. And it can also show us how to please God, to love God. He's saying it's like this beautiful path that we can run on, freed from condemnation and free to obey God, to break out of our sinful desires, which we all have, all of us. I'm not 
a great runner. Um, I just wasn't built for it. And I've tried at lots of different times in my life. I am not in the place with all of the injuries I currently have to run. So I, I don't run. I walk. But I had about 10 years ago, I, I was running quite a bit. And I, I had disciplined myself, was running quite a bit, and I, and I was getting up to where I could run like five to seven miles. And we were on this vacation uh, in San Diego, and I went for a jog, and I didn't know, I didn't have a plan. I was just out r- running around, walking around, and I just started jogging. And I, I found this little area in La Jolla in the city, and then I found myself on a path that was opened up to one of the most beautiful vistas I've ever seen along the Pacific Ocean. And I just ran and I ran and I ran. And because I had disciplined myself, which I'm not currently doing to the same extent, but at that moment, because I had said no to so many other things and and restrained myself according to the law of nature, I then had freedom in this other area. And, and maybe you've experienced that as well. When you uh, restrain yourself and say no to something, like the, the law of human nature, the, the law of, of food or, or of, of like medical law, so that you say no to certain things, your body will allow you to say yes to other things. And we think of restraint, moral restraint, as only something that's confining and we want our autonomy, but we see just in normal life that obeying certain laws of life can bring, can bring us freedom. And, and that's what David is talking about. He tells us to memorize God's word. In Psalm 119, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You read from the Bible and you see a passage that really speaks to your heart condition. Read it. Write it down. Uh, Put it in your phone. Write it on a card. Carry it with you until you have it down cold to where it's just in your heart, in your mind. And the younger you are, uh, you can memorize stuff so much better when you're young, right? My goodness. If you do this now as a young person, uh, when you're older, you will have this in your mind, in your heart for a lifetime. You will be able to have a resource available to you in your heart and your mind at all times. Do this when you're young. Do it now even if you're old. Memorize God's word, King David says. He says to meditate on God's word in verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. What's the big problem with meditating on anything? I can't focus. (laughs) Like trying to meditate is literally just to slow down and to focus. And for Christians... Christian meditation is to get all of the distractions in your life to turn off and to focus your heart and your mind of what is true and what is beautiful and what is good about God. And we are so distracted. And so if you have any hope for this at all, you're going to need to find a place, a quiet place, Uh, in your home, or it could be your car. It may have to be your closet. I don't know what your situation is, your backyard. Uh, But you need to find a quiet place, and you're probably going to need to turn your phone off. If you're me, you have to turn your phone off. Maybe not even take it with you. And slow down and think about what am I worried about? What am I concerned about? Think about your breathing we've learned recently in life, like what, what this, how this affects us. Take several deep breaths and calm down and read a portion of scripture. 
A Christian meditation is not so much an emptying of your mind, but a filling of your mind. It is being in touch with your body, understanding what's going on in your body. It is breathing. It is all that. But even more so, it's then filling your heart and your mind with the promises of God and the truths of God and remaining there slowly, carefully to ponder, to mull it over, to work out the implications. This is what it is to meditate. I'm recently, because I am so distracted, I've found a really great app that's helping me meditate on God's word and God's truths a little better. Twice a day, and a couple other people on staff are doing it. For like 30 days, we're doing this thing, and it's just like, please calm music, and it's, it's telling us God's truth, and it's walking us through this thing, and it's, it's been really helpful. And in it, each day, uh, the, the person who's speaking and, and walking us through it says, Lord Jesus, I give you everyone and everything. How beautiful. Because, see, that's one of my biggest problems in life. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I like to control everyone and everything. Because I think I'm the sovereign Lord of the universe. But instead, that's not true. I need to reorient my life around the reality that I am not God. God is God. And that I need to give him, everyone, and everything. For his burden is light. Meditate on God's word. Memorize God's word. And, and the third part of this is just is walking in God's word. Obeying God's word. Uh, he says in verse 11, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now let's meditate on that for just a bit. What does that mean? Does that mean that if I just read enough scripture, or memorize enough scripture that I'll never sin anymore? I'll just quit sinning altogether. No, that's not my experience. We know that's not true, but there is a serious correlation, dear friends, between what we're attaching our hearts to and what we are obeying, hiding the word of God in our heart and experiencing a greater desire to love God and to love our neighbor. It's, it's a fact. It's a truth. God's word is a means of grace to us. You, as the people of God, you are a means of grace to one another, to me. Uh, the sacrament is a means of grace. Prayer is a means of grace. Scripture is a means of God's grace to strengthen us, to speak to us, to build us, to form us. Are you growing in freedom? What is forming you right now? And, and the question isn't whether we are submitting to some authority or not. The question really is, to whom are you submitting? To what are you submitting? Are you your authority? Is culture your authority? Your parents? Is God your authority? And I want us to step back for just a second and ask the Spirit to help us own some things. I want to challenge us because I have a conviction that we are all being shaped and formed by culture more than we realize. Let me say that again. <clears throat> we are all being shaped and formed far, bar, far more by culture than we realize. 
Now, you know that our society's problem is that we're being shaped by culture more than God's word. But we have a tendency to think of uh, those people over here have the problem of being more formed by culture uh, than by God's word. And for a moment today, I'd like us to look in the mirror first and foremost, and I know you can't help but think of others as well, but to look in the mirror and say, how am I being shaped by culture uh, more or something else other than the word of God, God's will for our life as our primary authority? If you lean to the right culturally and politically, you are being more influenced by culture than you realize regarding your convictions and what you think is good and right and true. This isn't just an MSNBC or a blue problem. You hear me? (laughs) So if you lean conservative, if you lean right, I want you to open up yourself to the idea that uh, maybe culture is shaping you more than you realize and the problem is not just on the other aisle, the other color, the other channel the other social media outlets. If you lean left, would you please be open to the idea that you are being more influenced by culture than you realize regarding your convictions and what you think is good and right and true. This isn't just a Fox News problem. This isn't just a red problem. This isn't just the other aisle problem, that we are all so shaped by our culture right now and in need of God's grace to be the thing that is forming us and shaping us. Amen? Okay, good. I didn't hear quite an exuberant amen as I was hoping for. Okay, thank you. God is calling us to realize that we've been far more shaped by our culture than we realize, and that we all need to place ourselves under the authority of God's word. There's a sense in which every human heart is saying, I will build a life apart from God. We all do this. And in that vacuum, it's not as if we're smart enough to build it all. It comes from other places. We're all being formed and shaped. And we need the Bible to challenge us and to comfort us. But the reality is, there's a lot of things that we don't like in the Bible, and we have a tendency to not listen to those things and go to the passages that we really like. There are some challenges in Scripture that rub us the wrong way, or, and, and, but I am better at evaluating what I think bothers you more and why you should be obeying it more. <laughs> Rather than... What are the ways in which I am functionally denying God's authority in my life? I can say, well, it's those theological liberals that don't even believe that the Bible is God's word. They're the ones that are tearing up the Bible. Or or Thomas Jefferson, who was notorious for literally tearing pages out of his Bible they didn't like. I don't like that part. Gone, you know? Now, I've never met anyone that does that, but I see people doing that functionally all the time. Even those of us that theologically believe that the Bible is God's authoritative word. We may say it with our mind and our mouth, but our heart tells a different story saying, "Eh, I don't really like that part. I like this other part. I will obey that part. You with me? Tim Keller says this, though. If you eliminate anything from the Bible that offends your sensibility and crosses your will... If you pick and choose what you want to believe and reject the rest, how will you ever have a God who can contradict you? 
You won't. You'll have a God essentially of your own making and not a God with whom you can have a relationship in genuine interaction. Only if your God can say things that outrage you and make you struggle as in a real friendship or a real marriage will you know that you have gotten hold of a real God and not a figment of your imagination. So an authoritative Bible is not the enemy of a personal relationship with God. It is the precondition for it. Now, those who lean left in this room are going to be offended by different things in the Bible than those who lean right and vice versa. And some of the Bible just offends all of us. There are many truths in the Bible that we find offensive and challenging. And there are many things that we find beautiful and comfort. But we have this tendency to just like the comfort and ignore the challenge. There are passages we'd all love to ignore. This one, man, I would love to just get rid of. Anyone who would come after me, let him deny himself. Pick up his cross and follow me. Love your enemies. Pray for those that persecute you. Uh, the first shall be last. All of the Beatitudes. <laughs> Blessed are the poor. Mournful, meek, hungry, thirst for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, the persecuted. I don't want to be persecuted. There are hard sayings about our inner life, about sexual ethics that would be much easier to just rip out of our Bible uh, in light of our current cultural moment. It'd be so much easier. There are calls to justice that others would like to ignore. Isaiah 1, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's case. James 1, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Do you hear how all of these passages cut left and right? <laughs> If you lean right, you have a tendency to only punch left. If you lean left, you have a tendency to only punch right. But if I read the Bible correctly, the more I do, I'm seeing everyone's getting thrown under the bus. And that we all need to submit our hearts and our lives. And there's also many ways in which we need to change. That the inner heart matters to God. That righteousness, he's calling us to hunger and thirst for inner righteousness, not just outward justice, but he's not only calling us to inner righteousness, he's also calling us to act on our faith for the care of the widow and the orphan and the oppressed and the outsider. If you don't accept the challenging parts of the Bible, the parts that are most challenging to you, because it just seems like this is too difficult to be true, I just can't accept it. You'll never rest ultimately in the comforting parts of the Bible because they'll seem too good to be true to you. And you're smart enough to know what you're doing. If you're only accepting the parts you like, you know that you've created a God in your own image, not the living God of the universe. God's word is filled with comfort and promise. You can be made right with God, not by what you've done for him, but by what he has done for you. Those who come to him will never be lost Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. What promises we have. 
But if you're constantly listening and not listening, how can they comfort you if you won't accept its challenge? You'll say, I don't know if this is really true. How can I accept this comfort? These are awesome promises. But the rest of them, you need to live a life constantly praying this prayer. And would you open up your heart and your mind and, and maybe even listen, just listen. Close your eyes if you need to. God, I must build my life in you and on you. I can no longer build my life apart from you. You are God and I am not God. You must increase. I must decrease. Lord Jesus, make it so. Let's pray. Father, the one who made heaven and earth, everything in the universe, by the power of, of your own word and hands, and as we study and, and find out more and more about the size and the scope and the majesty of this universe that you created and how small we are in comparison, how small our galaxy is, how small our planet is on the edge of just one of billions of galaxies. Here we are saying that we will make the rules. Tiny creatures made by you, significant in your image, beautiful, and yet so small in comparison to the vastness of your creation, let alone you, the creator. And we would have the audacity to say, I will build my life apart from you. I will define what is good. I will define what is right. Oh, Lord, help us to submit to your will and your ways and to experience the freedom that you want to so joyfully give us. We pray this in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.